0: Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 20. I've entitled this, The Whole Council of God. There really are five Bible studies in here, and I'm gonna give you all five of them. <laughs> and I'm not gonna be like Paul, who talks all night so that you fall asleep and fall out of a window, okay? Uh, so, um, but having said that, um, I've entitled this the whole Council of God. And uh, to, to, for those of you who weren't with us on Wednesday night, I, I do want to lead up to it. And it, it talks about after the uproar in the first verse. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what uproar. So if you go back to chapter 19, beginning with verse 23, um, they're in Ephesus And um, uh, let me just show you the uh, theater that this is all gonna play out in. Um, I'll put that on the screen. This is a theater that um, is in Ephesus to this day. We've actually given Bible studies at this very spot. It used to be a port city. Um, Over time, the water has receded. And uh, the Mediterranean's is about half a mile, at least it was the last time I was there. Don't know how far it is now. But you can leave that up until I'm also going to put a picture up of um, a map. But what's taking place here is Paul comes with the gospel. And um, as he's preaching the gospel, there's a certain man named Demetrius in verse 24 Verse 23 says, about that time there arose a great commotion about the way, which is another way of saying the church. And the reason for the commotion is Paul was preaching the gospel. And if you look down at verse 26, uh, this guy named Demetrius, well, his business was making idol shrines of Diana of the Ephesians. And it says it brought them no small profit in verse 24. A guy named Demetrius, a silversmith, made silver shrines of Diana, uh, brought no small profit to his craftsmen. So evidently, a good part of the business in Ephesus was making these um, statues of Diana of the Ephesians. Well, he goes and stirs up the crowd because what's happening is when they're hearing the gospel, um, Demetrius gets all bent out of shape and um, he, he starts complaining in verse 26. He says, Paul has persuaded and turned many peoples away saying that there are no gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana. So now they start stirring up the whole town. Not everybody knows what's happening. It actually says in verse 32 that uh, some therefore cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was confused and most of them didn't even know why they were there. (laughs) Something's happening down at the amphitheater. Let's go check it out. Well, the guy stirring everything up was this guy who's who's lost his money. I mean, remember when we were studying about the gal who was demon-possessed, who had the gift of being able to tell the future, and it was a real demon that was doing it, and was following Paul around and Silas and saying, these are the men of the most high God, and they'll, they'll tell you the ways of salvation. Well, she did this day after day after day, and Paul finally got fed up with it, and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and the demon came out. And uh, the guys that were using her to make money lost their business. So what did they do? They beat him with rods and threw him in prison. Actually going to be there this morning, so I'll just leave it with there. I'm reading this part because as you look at um, verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, after the uproar. Well, it raises the obvious question, what uproar are you talking about? And if you weren't here Wednesday night, you don't. Have a clue. But after the uproar had ceased, it says Paul called the disciples to them embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. Now I'm going to put the blue uh, map up on the screen at this time. And it tells us that he's uh, on his way at verse five, waited for them in Troas. We have both Macedonia. And if you... um, go straight across the, the sea there, you can see Troas, that's in verse five. So after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to him, embracing them and departed to go to Macedonia. From where? Well, he's in Ephesus. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, so we're talking now Paul's second going into his third missionary journey. Paul had three of them. Uh, and he encouraged them, uh, and he came to Greece. And he stayed there for three months, and when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return again through Macedonia. And so Parter of Berea accompanied him to Asia, and Aristarchus and uh, Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychus and Trompious and of Asia, uh, these men going ahead waited for us at Troas. So they're going from Macedonia. There's a guy there from Berea. Berea's right under uh, Macedonia, and they make it over to uh, Troas, which is also on on the blue map. What I'd like to do this morning is look at five things about Paul um, that describe his nature, his character, his mannerisms, how he does things, why he does things, and um, uh, the. We won't be getting to that until we get to the text, but because. I've entitled this a whole Council of God. I want to make sure we go through the whole council of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So I'm not going to start in 18. We're going to start in verses. We just went through 1 through 5. Let's look at 6 through 12. Troas, Eutychus. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unlimited bread, and in five days, journey them at Troas, where he stayed seven days. Now, on the seventh day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, uh, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So I wonder what time he started that Bible study. <laughs> All I know is it went till midnight. And I don't want to hear any complaints. About my long Bible studies. I don't even come close. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking deep into a deep sleep. (laughs) Just checking. I might check again at the end of the Bible study. (laughs) He fell into a deep sleep and he was overcome by sleep and Paul continued speaking. He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. He dies. But Paul went down, fell on him, actually he's praying for him, obviously, and embraced him and said, do not trouble yourself for his life is in him. And when he had come up, and he had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till break, daybreak, he departed. Now you think after a guy would be coming back from the dead that that would be the the topic for the rest of the day, right? No. Paul goes right back to the Bible study till dawn. <laughs> he doesn't. It doesn't skip a beat. And they brought the young man in alive, um, and they were not a little. little Comforted, and so um, now Paul is uh, going to be bidding farewell to the Ephesians and the and the elders. So let's read thirteen till we get to our text, and that would be thirteen through seventeen. Then he went to the ship and sailed to Azos. Uh, They're intending to take Paul on board, so he had given orders intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Azos, he took him on board, and they came to Milt Lane. He sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, he arrived at Samos and stayed at Atragillium, And the next day he came to Miltus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia for he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. Now remember, if you're Jewish, uh, you're required to attend three feasts every year. Uh, Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Sukkot, or Tabernacles. And um, so Paul had it in his heart that he was going to make it to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. So from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So now this brings us to our verse. And um, 17 to 24. And when they had come to him, he said to them, and this is Paul, he says, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in a spirit to Jerusalem and knowing that things will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit is telling me or testifies in every city saying that there's gonna be chains and tribulations await me. So the Lord is speaking to him. And he says, between here and Jerusalem, all you're gonna be in for is trials and tribulations and, tri- and, and chains. And this comes to my first number one point that I wanna point out about the Apostle Paul. His reaction to what he knows is going to happen to him is found in verse 24. It's number one of the things that I want to point out. And that is, but none of these things move me. None of these things move me. The question is, what things, Paul? We got a little glimpse of what things But I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'll just give you a little taste of some of the things that Paul was going through. Let's pick it up in verse 23 of chapter 11. He's talking about his apostleship. So we know that when Peter thought it was a good idea to bring on another disciple and apostle, that it wasn't the two that they thought it should be, Call Paul calls himself an apostle. Verse twenty-three, in the ministries of Christ, I speak a fool; I more in labors, more abundant in stripes. The stripes that he's talking about are the the five times. Um, that he received in prison frequently in deaths often from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one now I know I'm being repetitive here but as J. Vernon McGee would say how do you learn your Bible and he always says repetition, repetition, repetition repetition so even though I've said this before why 40 stripes minus one Remember, they they whipped Jesus 40 stripes minus one. The reason is for the minus one is that for punishment in the law, you could only give 40 stripes, and that was it. That was a punishment. Um, a good beating more than that could actually kill a prisoner. So, to make sure <laughs> that they didn't break what the law said about the 40 stripes, who's ever keeping count, in case he got one wrong, they made it thirty. They made it 39, instead of making the mistake of making it 41 and breaking the law. Is everybody with me? So that's why it says, I received the 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, and you'll see that in our study today. Once I was stoned, um, that's where I believe that he... Um, was actually killed and was taken to heaven, to the third heaven. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the the cities, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, and sleepless often, and hunger and thirst and fasting often, and cold and nakedness. Besides the other things that come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the church. Um, so I got wow written at the end of this list here. So when he says that none of these things move me, now I hope you have a little better idea he went through all these things but not only does it not move him but what does he say in verse 30 if i must boast i will boast of the things which concern my infirmity so he doesn't complain he doesn't say why me oh woe is me there's none of that matter of fact it's just the opposite he is, he is saying here that um, he will boast in his infirmities. I'd like to take it a step farther, and let's go to Acts chapter 16. Give me a moment to get there. And I had made mention of this earlier about the slave girl that followed Paul many days. Chapter 16 And we have this gal demon-possessed. And verse 17, it says, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Paul didn't appreciate the fact of getting advertising from the devil. And it says this annoyed him greatly in verse 18 because she did it every day following uh, Paul and Silas around. And so he had enough of it. And he commanded and he said to the spirit, notice he didn't say it to the girl, he said it to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged him into the marketplace and to the authorities They brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they're teaching customs, which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Like what? Like only Caesar could be king. And now this guy is saying Jesus is king. We got a problem here. So what do they do? They commanded them to be beaten with rods. Remember what we just read in Corinthians? Three times he was beaten with rods. Here's one of them right here. And when they had laid many stripes on them, so that too, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, and having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks, because he knows if they break out, it's his life. So he's making triple sure These guys aren't going anywhere, and so here you are. You've been beaten with rods. You got stripes laid on you. You're thrown in the inner prison in chains. And um, what's Paul's attitude with all this? Verse twenty-five. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? (laughs) I look at it going. Go "Go, what? (laughs) They were praying and singing songs. And this is the part that I want you to take a personal application to. It's what's said next. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Don't you think they know they just got a a beating? And um, thrown in an inner prison? What are they doing? They weren't whining or complaining. They were singing and praying. And the prisoners were listening. I want to do a little sidetrack here, and I want to let you know, especially with all the stuff that's going on right now. And I'll be honest with you, I have, I have bad days looking around at um, uh, what's taking place. Um, I talk to a lot of people, and they just say this has been real tough on me. I know I'm supposed to count it all joy. I said, well, I think Sunday's Bible study is gonna help you out a little bit because even though we go through these things, people are watching how we are responding to what's going on right now. Can I get an amen? They are watching you at work. You have family members that are watching you. And really, gang, I think you got a great opportunity here. If, If they can see that there's something different about you Uh, They're going to ask the question, you know, um, later on, Paul says, uh, to provoke them through jealousy. What does that mean? It means that what you got, I want, because if I was in your situation, I wouldn't be responding to the way you're responding. You're singing songs. I'm down in the basement digging holes, okay? And that would be the flip side of it. So, no that um, no matter what's going on, we know the end of the story. We know how it's all supposed to turn out. We know there has to be a mark that no man can buy or sell. We know all these things. And now we're watching it unfold right before our eyes. Gang, it's late. So even though, um, I gotta be honest, until I get out, out of bed and have a cup of coffee and, and get into, I'm gonna close this message with wisdom from today because it applies so well to the study. Until I get to that place, I think about what's going on in the world, and know the Bible says you have to die daily. Well, I'm not quite dead yet until I have my coffee. <laughs> and, uh, and into this, and I go, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> die daily. You know my saying about dying daily, the problem with, the problem with dying daily is it's so daily. <laughs> you know? But if you don't, if you don't die daily, then you're just gonna be in the flesh and respond the way um, point people are watching. And they're gonna, you can provoke them to jealousy as they look at you and you say, they're thinking, he shouldn't be reacting this way. What's with it? And that's what Paul means when he says, provoke them through jealousy, knowing that you are being watched. It says here, the prisoners were listening to them, singing songs. And, um, of course, um, it's knowing how to handle Adversity. And that's uh, my, my first point here with, with Paul. One more I want to show you. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Let's go there quickly. Uh, Seventh, uh, pick it up verse seven. Second Corinthians twelve seven through thirteen. Now this is what what I believe. He would have been stoned, and uh, I believe he did die, and he was taken to the third heaven. But then um, he could have, you know, he could have made a big deal of it. And instead, he just uh, said he was taken to paradise and he heard things that's not lawful for a man to utter. Uh, way beyond anything we can comprehend or think, he saw. And he said, Sorry, can't put it into words. It's not lawful, couldn't even come close. He says, of such I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. Verse seven, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. I was talking to someone this week that was talking about demon possession, And, um, the fact that no true Christian can ever be demon-possessed. Somebody want to give me an amen or not? Light and darkness cannot dwell together. It's that simple. Having said that, you can be oppressed. At any given time, you got three things going on as far as being talked to. You could give yourself a good talking to. (laughs) And, um... Then there's times that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And then there's the the one who's sitting on your shoulder uh, testing you and tempting you. Oh, he can't possess you, but he can oppress you. And saying, do you realize what you just did? you call yourself a Christian? He's called the accuser of the brethren. And... He tries to get right in your face to bring you down. The Bible says he's come to do nothing more but to steal, to kill, and destroy. So we got those three. Now we gotta discern who's talking to who here. And what happens next is Paul has a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh to buffet him. Volumes have been written of what the thorn in the flesh is, it doesn't tell us, so I don't know. But the reason for it is lest I would be exalted above measure. So my point is even the apostle Paul had this demon on his back all the time. And Paul says, I don't like it. And he prays three times to the Lord. Concerning the things I pleaded with the Lord. Not just pray, pleaded that it might depart from me. But he, and he did this three times. And finally, God talks to him and he says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's all he needed to hear. It doesn't matter what God said as long as God says something. Are you with me? And God says, sorry, I'm, I'm, that's not gonna happen. I'm using this as an instrument to keep you humble, Period that in, in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon you. What does he say? Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproach, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what Paul could have wrote a book about going to heaven? Uh, he didn't he could have wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. (laughs) Everything we've read so far, this is your best life now. And then he's pleading with this one. I point that out just to show you how off track the church has gotten. Because Bible studies on hell like we did a couple weeks ago are the necessity of trials and how we are to respond to them. Uh, not that we don't pray the Lord to deliver us from them because maybe he will. But he didn't with Paul and the purpose was to keep him usable and I guess that's the best way to say it because some of these megachurches get so big um, they get big headed and they get themselves in a lot of trouble because they get off track. Mostly telling people what they want to hear, not telling them what they need to hear, and the only way you 're really going to get to have what you really hear is to teach the whole council of God i can 't skip over these verses i can 't tell you all well, paul 's life was really a rose garden <laughs> no just the opposite so let 's um, go back to let 's that's point number one, Bible study number one. Let's go back to Acts 20. And you're thinking, Dwight, if, if the first one took that long, I might be falling out of a window and something like that. Don't worry about it. They're, they, they, they shorten up. Okay, number two. We're looking at chapter 20, verses 25 through 27. Acts, Dwight. 20. Five through 27 we've read none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God and indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God you will see my face no more therefore I want to testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. What he's saying in there is, "I didn't take advantage of anybody." And then he says in verse 22 uh, seven, our second point here, and that is, "For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God." And that's the second aspect of Paul that he taught it all. Remember that when he was in Thessalonica, he was there for three Sabbaths, about a month, and he taught every major biblical doctrine, including the rapture, including the tribulation, including the kingdom, he taught it all in a month. And now he's saying I've not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. I want you to turn to me with me to Matthew chapter 28. We call it the Great Commission. I want to point out just a couple things here. Matthew 28 and verse 20, Jesus is giving these final words to his disciples. Verse 20 says, Teaching them, teaching, to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, okay, I want you to go back to chapter 27, and I could use almost every page of the Bible, but I'm only gonna use, oh, 10 or 11 verses from Matthew 27 to make my point. All things, well, there was no New Testament when Jesus said those words. When he referred to the scriptures, he could only be referring to the Old Testament scriptures. So what I want to point out here is when he says teaching them all things, my point is the importance of teaching the whole counsel of God and the necessity of the Old Testament. Now if you look at verse uh, three through, um, let's pick it up with verses um, three through 10. And Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. That's an Old Testament prophecy. Saying, I have sinned, betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? And he threw it down, the silver departed. Um, and But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them in the treasury because they're not, they're, they're, the price of blood, and they took counsel and they bought a potter's field uh, with it to bury the strangers in. That's an Old Testament prophecy. Therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled, and here it is, that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was pierced, whom they of the children of Israel pierced. Okay, well, there's one. Uh, If you look at verse nine, it tells us right out that this was a fulfillment of an Old Testament um, verse that Matthew's recording it. If you look at verse 26, it says, then they released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. That's fulfilling Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 53, another Old Testament prophecy. Um, verse 29, and when they had twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and read in his right hand, they bowed the knee and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. That is a fulfillment of Psalm 69, Isaiah 53, both Old Testament prophecies. Uh, Look at verses 34 through 36. 34, and they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he tasted it, uh, he he would not drink. Then they crucified him, divided his garments, casting lots. Notice that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them for the clothing they cast on him um let's look at verse thirty nine which tells us, and those who passed by blasphemed wagging their heads that's a prophecy from psalm twenty two uh, verse forty three tells us he trusted God, let him deliver him, and he will if he will Have him, for he said, I am the son of God. That is uh, Psalm 22, fulfillment. Now verses 45 and 46. And from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lamni sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first verse of Psalm 22. I'll just give you one more, verse 48. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it up on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Psalm 69. Gang, I've just taken you through one chapter. I picked it at random. And you go ahead and pick any scriptures in the New Testament and you're going to find in there Bible prophecy. And so when... um, Paul is saying, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. These are just a couple. Um, Without belaboring it too much, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, the story of Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. I'm not going to read it all. I'll simply tell you that they're disheartened They had given up everything to follow Jesus, and now Jesus is dead, and they're going home. They're going home to Emmaus. And while they're walking, Jesus comes up alongside of them. He says, hi, guys. What are you so bummed out about? You're the only stranger around here who doesn't know what's going on? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, who we thought was a prophet from God but now he's dead, we're going home. And then if you look at verse, as he's listening to them, he says in verse 25, and he said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus points them back to the Old Testament. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? So now we have Jesus pointing them back I won't have you turn to the next one, but I think you, you get the point that Jesus was saying, haven't you guys read your Old Testament? Um, I'll just quote John 3, verse 14. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. Something Nicodemus could identify with. He knew the story. People sinned, they murmured. Snakes came in, started to kill him. They repent, and the Lord tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. Symbolic. Bronze is always symbolic of judgment, and of course, the serpent is symbolic of sin. So what do you got a picture of? Sin being judged. Now go tell the people. Anybody that looks at the snake, he'll be healed. Anybody who doesn't, they'll die. And like most people, um, everybody has a free will, And when the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented, you have two things happening. Those who believe, amen, and those who don't. And that's what happened when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Some said, really, I'll get healed? And they go look at it and go, wow, I'm healed. And the other people were saying, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. I'm dying here. I just got bit by a snake. And I'm supposed to look at that and that's going to change everything? And that's the attitude that people have. We tell them Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. He's the one that said, no man comes to the Father except by me. There's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. And uh, he's the only one who has the credentials to be the Passover lamb because he Never sinned. Any other religion, any other ism, whatever it is, there's things that go along with it except the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gift. And what do you do with the gift? You either take it or you don't take it. If you take it, what do you say? Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much. And so... As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, Jesus is pointing again back to the Old Testament. The whole counsel of God um, is basically what Calvary Chapel is all about. I'm sad to say that many of them are departing from it because they feel the younger people are too bored with it. And um, I was young when I first got saved, and um, I thought some of the stuff in the Old Testament was much more exciting than the stuff in the New Testament, but many of them have left off teaching the Old Testament and are now are only teaching the New. So that's the, the second part that of um, Paul, is he taught the whole council of God let's go back to Acts 20 and now we're looking at verses 29 through 31 then he says he's saying remember he's saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus he says for I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock and from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you every night, day, and tears. I have hardly ever heard a Bible study given on that particular verse. That Paul warned them, three years, that if when he was gone, there's going to be people that would try to take advantage of it, and uh, basically, he's telling them they would draw disciples after themselves, speaking perverse things so this is the third aspect about Paul is that he uh, he warned them, but what really gets me is he did it day and night for three and a half years. Uh, they would draw people to themselves, of course they were say it was the Lord telling them to do so or just a blatant lie but Paul said look out um, because for for three years I warned you I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1 and I want to point out here Paul's attitude what was his attitude I didn't covet anybody's money and um, my motive was the love of Christ constrains me, but this is the last time you're going to see me, and because it's the last time you're going to see me, there's going to rise up people that are going to have their own agenda of what they are, they would like to do. I'm reading verses 15 and 16 from Philippians 1. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. Verse sixteen, the former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, in other words, they want to be noticed uh, instead of having Christ being noticed uh, they want they want the attention for themselves, so that is the third thing about Paul. That wasn't his nature or character at all. And he wasn't afraid to tell him ahead of time what could happen. All right, number four, Paul's work work ethic. Let's look at, um, uh, go back to Acts chapter six, eighteen, And I'll remind you of um, something and then I'll come. This is, when he was with Aquila and Priscilla, and in verse three, they had something uncommon. So because he was of the same trade, this is Paul, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. I mean Paul worked? <laughs> with all this other stuff going on? Why did he work? So it tells us in Acts 20 why he didn't work And that would be verses 33. And no, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Now verse 34. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me in other words he he wasn't getting a paycheck he worked besides doing all this other stuff he says you yourselves know well because we just finished chapter 18 we know what he did well he was a tent maker and that's how he provided his necessity when we started uh when we started here most calvary chapels all the, all the early ones um, during the Jesus movement um, we called it literally called it tent making because uh, we went out and we got jobs. I personally painted houses for seven years, and every Calvary chapel during that area well, they did something whatever whatever their trade was until it got to the point where um, um, we could have staff and actually pay staff and have salaries and things like that but it didn't happen overnight. So here we have Paul's work ethic and I want to—I do wanna spend uh, some um, time on this and have you turn to the book of Nehemiah. Now I had my Bible study done and then on Saturday morning I was laying in bed and the Lord added another section to it that goes along with this. So Nehemiah chapter one and again the point here is Paul's work ethic. And right now the application that I'd like to apply it to is some people can't work because they're losing their job. They don't feel like working uh, because they're pressed and they just don't feel like working and Nehemiah chapter one he gets a report from Jerusalem if you look at verse three there's about 50,000 people they were in Babylon for 70 years 50,000 of them have come back but what did they come back to a city that was in complete ruins temple was destroyed city was destroyed And their attitude, verse 3, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province, they are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned within me. And Nehemiah got that news, and for those of you who know chapter 2, you know that he was the King's cupbearer. And you couldn't be sad in front of the king. And he came in all bummed out one day. And the king picked up on it. What's your problem, Nehemiah? And he said, I just got word from Jerusalem. Everybody's depressed. Nobody's working. And they're despondent. What do you want? He says, I want some money. I want a command with your name on it. That tells me I can go back to Jerusalem by building material and um, see if I can be some sort of encouragement to change the mindset of the people that are so depressed and greatly perplexed, they don't want to do nothing. And that's what can happen when you're in a situation like that. And quite frankly, if that's not applicable to what's going on in our world right now, I don't know what is. Because that fits a lot of people. So the question now remains is, what's the answer to no work, to getting them to do work? Um, Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, Chapter two, verses 17 and 18, he gives them a Bible study. Nehemiah does, exhorts the people. Then I said to him, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and the gates are burned and fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which has been good upon me and also of the king's words that were spoken to me. And so they said, let us rise and build. And then they set their hands to do this good work Um, so you have a Bible study exhortation but go to chapter 4 now of Nehemiah and we'll read 4 through 6 because not only is Bible study important but prayer is also important cast your cares upon the Lord they weren't doing that they needed to be exhorted chapter 4 verse 4 says hear O oh, our God, this is, this is the people. What are they doing? They're now praying. For we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sins be blotted out before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. What caused them to build the wall? Well, a good Bible study for number one. Number two, prayer. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together uh, to half the height, and here's, here's the big turnaround. For the people had a mind to work. Isn't that a great scripture? What was it before? They were despondent in great distress, just sitting down doing nothing. They didn't feel like working. Good Bible study, good prayer meeting, and all of a sudden the people have a mind to work. Well, one more place. Um, It tells us in chapters six, verse 15. So now they got a mind to work. They've been depressed and despondent for who knows how long. So verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. They beat the, the whole wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. Now my point is they went from, how do you go from being depressed, not feeling like working, despondent? Well, what I have observed yesterday is the people had a mind to work. Yesterday was a work day. I can't tell you how many people were outside. Place looks great, doesn't it? Well, there's another thing going on. I was surprised how many people actually showed up for men and women's prayer. So we had prayer meeting going on at one time and people working at this at the same time. And these guys are out joking and having fun and they had lunch and the, the whole nine yards. But... Um, the, the people had a mind to work. And what causes the change in attitude uh, is absolutely essential in the work of the Lord. And that is the whole counsel of God, all of it. And that is the importance of prayer. What was the outline to the early church? Acts 2, verse 42, the Apostles' Doctrine. Amen? Bible studies. Prayer. Two, um, fellowship three, communion four. What else? That's all. That's all. If you add anything to that list, you're adding to the word of God. If you take any one of those things away, you're taking away from the word of God. And it's really that simple. I can do that. <laughs> you can do that. And But the exhortation is important. How many of us come in after a tough week. Or maybe a tough day on a Wednesday. And you're bringing, you're you're in that state of mind. And all of a sudden the first worship song comes on. And we turn our eyes upon Jesus. And the things of this world grow strangely dim. What was I bummed out about? I can't remember, What, what was that trial anyway? Now it's insignificant when you get your eyes upon Jesus. You know, it's a whole story about this, not in my notes, it's coming to me right now. Um, Jesus was walking on the water. Peter thought, well, that's pretty cool. I'd you like to try that. Lord, command me to come to walk on the water with you. He says, come on out, Pete. And so Peter's doing great. He's walking on water. But it says the winds and the sea were boisterous. And he took his eyes off the Lord, he put him on the trial, and what happened? He began to sink. And it's such a wonderful application. Take your eyes off the Lord, put it back on the trial, and you'll be right you'll be going right down to the bottom. But what did he do? Lord, help. <laughs> and the Lord just Lord it must have been strong, you know. He picked him up, one handed him up and put him in a boat. And uh but you gotta give Peter credit you know because he was willing to get out of the boat he was willing to get out of the boat so you gotta give credit where credit is due um, leads us to our fifth one the last one I'm not doing too bad you didn't think we get five bible studies <laughs> in did you okay so let's go back to Acts 20 This characteristic about Paul, Acts 20, the last verses here, we're looking at verses 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. Now this, again, would have been much closer than it is today. Um, I'm gonna, the last scripture I'm gonna have you turn to is Philippians 1. Remember that it says that, the, um, that he had this fondness for the Church of Philippi. When we were teaching in Acts, he had a special connection with them. And so the last thing I wanna point out here is a love between the brethren. They loved Paul. They loved him because he was the way he was to the point where it was in tears. And when he writes the first 11 verses of Philippians, you can see this sort of special affection that Paul has for this particular church. So I'm gonna read the first 11 verses and let it speak for themselves about Paul. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know you've heard this many times before, but again, repetition, repetition, repetition. You'll never understand the peace of God until you've accepted the grace of God. And that's why it's in this order, grace and peace, from our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day even until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all. He keeps saying you all. I'm not sure if he's not from Texas or not. With the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound, still more and more in knowledge and in discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The fifth characteristic in Bible study about the Apostle Paul is he loved them and they loved him, especially the church of Philippi. And that leads us to the first and greatest commandment which is what? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then Matthew twelve thirty one says, and the second is like the first. And that is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandments than these. And Paul exemplified these things. His work ethic, is integrity, um, not wanting to give them anything except the Lord. And the fruit of all that is, comes out in a natural love between the brethren. I'm going to close this morning. I wasn't planning on doing this either, but I, I read my wisdom for today. And it lined up with the Bible study. So I thought, okay, we'll close with that this morning it's called cast your burden on the lord. And what do we have here? We have a man that went through unbelievable difficulties and trials and meetings. And but all he really cared about is to have the lord speak to him about it. So this is Psalm 55 verse 22. Um, Cast your burden on the Lord, for he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. These are important verses in scriptures right now because of the world that we're living in. So I'm just going to read it, and uh, we'll pray after that. It is believed that David wrote the psalm when his son Absalom rebelled against him. His closest friend Ahithophel had also turned against him at the same time. Broken-hearted, filled with fear, David at first sought escape. But then he stopped and said, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Peace comes when we turn those overwhelming issues over to God and cease trying to dictate the outcome. David showed wisdom by turning his problem over to God. The prophet Isaiah said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Now, the real reason I'm reading this this morning, this is my favorite psalm, that verse right there. I remember the first time somebody read it to me. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Wow, I thought that was great. Um, But if you're trying to maneuver a situation to gain the comfort outcome you desire, you will have distress. We find the strength to let go when we remember that God is a doting father who loves and cares for his own. He is not going to allow anything to come into your life to destroy you. His intent is to build up your relationship so that you'll be able to trust him in unexpected losses and in disappointing times. Cast your cares upon him And leave them there. Trust in the Lord, and he will take care of whatever burdens you have may be carrying. As we close in prayer this morning, and um, you have cares to the best of your ability, cast your cares upon the Lord. Um, Try to maintain the four simple things that are laid out, the fellowship, the Bible study, what will really turn around a person from feeling like doing nothing to... Having a mind to work and a whole complete different change in attitude amen Lord we thank you for your word this morning as we make our way through um, Acts chapter 20 and um, you know your word does tell us that those who that are forgiven much uh, they love much and Paul Uh, really was an adversary of the gospel. And um, yet you've taken this man and shaped him and molded him into the apostle Paul. And Lord, as we go through this chapter this morning, may we glean how to cast our cares upon you and call out upon you. And I pray for any that are especially having a a bad time or maybe they just lost their job or more pressures have been added on because people are getting laid off and more people are having to do more work. So many things that are out there right now. But I pray that your word would not return void this morning and that you would uh, go before us this week. I do pray for the conference, Lord, that you would use it to um, uh, keep us watching and looking for your coming in jesus name i pray and all god's people said yeah